Hey, Rob, how's it going? Hey, pretty good, Joseph. Uh, how's it going with you? What's happening? Uh, well, we got our first dedicated mailbag episode. Tony joins us again. Hello, Tony. Hey, Tony. Hey, nice to be on with you guys. So full disclosure, um, we are recording this uh, December 6th, but it is not going to be released until um, sometime in the first half of January. This is our first mailbag episode. We are going to address a number of correspondence that, that we've gotten. If you sent us an email or communicated with us in any way after December 6th, then obviously it is not going to be included here, but we will most certainly will include it in an upcoming future episode of, of Mailbox. Before we jump into it, I just want to talk about something that's pretty exciting. Okay. So Rob, guess what is happening in a couple of months? What? What? Tell me. Our 100th episode. Oh my God. Can you believe it? Holy crap. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I can believe it on one level and no, I can't on another. <laughs> I know. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. 100th episode. We've got to do something special. Yeah. I've been thinking about this long and hard, and here is my suggestion. Uh, I think we've learned a lot over the course of this podcast. Uh, we've... You and I never considered um, ourselves experts or right. um, scholars. That's the point. I think we're we're even more humble about our knowledge than when we when we started for for certain. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. The the emphasis is really kind of shifted to discovery, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that should be the the theme of our 100th episode, and I'm hoping that our listeners can um, contribute to the content that we cover. So here's the question oh, yeah. for Rob, the three of us hosts, and uh -huh. for our audience, which is what has been uh, over the course of this podcast as a listener, what has been the best new discovery that you've made as a result of listening to this podcast? So it, it could be a, a band, an album, or even a song. I see. Okay. Not, not, you're not looking for what have you learned or what have you come away with necessarily you want to know content wise yeah what has been yeah okay yeah all right if you go to apple podcasts and you look at the reviews for for this podcast mm -hmm. the good reviews and most most of them are, are pretty positive there's a reoccurring theme which is which is hearing some old favorites and discovering some new great content. So I really want to okay. focus on the new great content. So we would love to hear from our listeners what is the 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 best discovery as a result of of listening to this podcast. It could be like a band that you were familiar with but didn't really appreciate 
and or it could be something brand new. We've been doing this for a little while and we've learned so many things and yeah. and talked to some great people and listened to some amazing music. So this is I'm I don't know. I I I think I know what it is, but I want to hang on to it. Yeah. So looking forward to that. Well, by the time this episode drops, there will be a um a Facebook post dedicated to this question what is your your favorite discovery so you can um certainly if you even deal with facebook nowadays uh you you can go there you can either uh just message us or email us or whatever just write something down and send to us send it to us however you choose or we will have a link to a, a voice memo service where you can click on that link and you've got 90 seconds to just communicate to us, which would be fantastic. And we can feature that um, during the episode. Oh, yeah. So we're, we're still kind of nailing down a lot of the details. And hopefully next time we talk about this, we'll have this concept organized a little bit more. But I want to I want to put it out there so people can start thinking about it. Uh, what is what is the the most exciting discovery, um, music-wise, that you've made as a result of experiencing this podcast? Cool. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Okay, so mailbag. We're starting to get more and more correspondence from our listeners, which is um, fantastic. Yeah. First off, I want to talk about Jillian from Australia. We've been getting so much good feedback from uh, from Australia. We've had um, several listeners, and of course Patrick. Um, just, I feel like over the last couple of years, I've I've really gotten an education about. Um, new wave punk and post punk in Australia, and how that really. It's a whole different subculture, and uh, Australia is getting represented on this podcast, which we really appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. The last episode with our extended conversation with um, Patrick, we had a um, we talked about Australia's countdown and the countdown kids. She was one of the countdown kids. Um, uh, she has sent me a ton of information about that and that whole scene. Very inspiring. Two episodes ago, when we did our first pop quiz, we talked, we poured one out for a member of Jimmy and the Boys who just passed away. Um, that was brought to our attention by, uh, by her as well. And the correspondence that I want to feature tonight is about Rachel Sweet. Are either of you familiar with Rachel Sweet? No, not well. No, no, <laughs> I'm not. Only her brief um, top forty um, mainstream song that I can think uh, yeah. of. Yeah, I sent you a playlist with a couple of of her songs, but before that, were you familiar with her at all? And I've only heard one of those songs, by the way. Mm. And I, I am. It's it's. A song that'll probably never leave my head, unfortunately. But, yeah, the um, Rex Smith song was the only one that I had known already because it had been a top 40 hit. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Rachel Sweet has been brought up 
I think this is the third time that she's been brought up um, as far as suggestions for inclusion during our uh, for for our podcast. And each time I go and I listen to her and and go, this doesn't feel essential to me. I haven't included her as part of the regular. I mean, we'll definitely have a discussion about her catalog at some point. I was always intending like some sort of a, uh, you know, inclusion in one of our bonus episodes. However, it could be that Rachel Sweet plays like a larger, more iconic role as a new wave figure in Europe than she does here in the United States. So, so she is an American artist. Okay. I, don't, I don't think she's ever got any recognition here in the United States as a new wave artist. Um, so that's why I, I'm so puzzled by the fact that she keeps being brought up. Currently, I have her slated for some sort of a bonus episode, possibly like a new wave covers episode or like in our new wave tourist episode or maybe a new wave rockabilly country episode. <laughs> I've I've listened to most of her output. I'm so confused by it. I just don't get it. Joseph, do you think it's because she was on Stiff Records? I think that that people in Europe were probably paying closer attention to 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 the stiff record output. Mm -hmm. Before we continue this conversation, let's let's listen to we're actually going to listen to two cuts by by Rachel Sweet. Let's start out with uh, her most streamed song, uh, which is a song called "It's So Different Here." You wanted me to write you a letter, here it is, it's left down the river on the boat. And if the things I feel around me could reach you, they never will, you're much too remote. Women walk in the shade with water jars. It's so different here, so hot, no phones or cars. It's so different here. These afternoons are for asleep, the people mend their nets. They'll be in the boats at sunrise. I made the comment about uh, the other song, the, the one with Rick Smith being stuck in my head. I am not a fan of that song, but this song I, I kind of dig. I, I like it, and I like her voice. I like her style. I uh, also don't see why she's important to punk and new wave. But you know, she does a lot of cover songs. She does covers of songs by The Damned, Lou Reed, Graham Parker, Isaac Hayes, um, Elvis Costello. Wow. I was gonna say there's a first song. There's one song on her first album written by Elvis Costello. So. That seems obligatory. Done in a very, very country yeah. way. I would love for somebody in Europe to to give us another perspective on, on why she matters. I definitely want to have a conversation about her because I think her music is hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. But it feels more like a no novelty thing than warranting inclusion in 
a regular ongoing conversation about the about the output, you know, month to month output. Here in the United States, she has she is most famous for a song that is so incredibly not new wave. Um, so let's <laughs> go ahead and listen listen to that. That this is a song called Everlasting Love, of course. Many versions of this song have been moderate hits here in the United States. I think the the most successful was the original um, version that was released in 1967. But but this hit number 32 here in the United States. This is a duet with Rex Smith. Hearts go astray, leaving hurt when they go. I went away just when you needed me so. Finding your way, you come back wanting me. I'm gonna stay loving you. I never thought we'd be playing this song on this podcast. <laughs> you know, I, I said that this song will never leave my head, and it's not because I love it, and it's just one that I want to hear all the time. It's totally an iconic song, and almost everybody on the planet knows it, but, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's well, kind of dated, too, I got to say. Well, and particularly this version of it. Uh, oh, very, yeah. very oh, late, yeah. late 70s like disco pop type thing. I mean, Rex Smith with the headband and everything. (laughs) (laughs) I went and listened to just about every version. Well, I, I, I did go and listen to every version that, that broke the U S top, top uh, 100. And the original version is by far the best version. I, I think Carl Carlton actually had the bigger hit yes. in the 70s. Hope, hope to hear uh, from a big Rachel Sweet fan um, <laughs> and set us straight about her because I, I am flummoxed. Yeah. I'm flummoxed about what, what is going on with Rachel Sweet. She, you know, she, she was a pretty successful um, actress here in the United States as well. She was in Two Broke Girls, Seinfeld, Night Court, and Hairspray. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what somebody has to say about her, to be honest. I, I, you know, it's not that I don't like her. I I am fascinated by her, and I I Mm -hmm. like her style, so Mm -hmm. I'm curious. Mm -hmm. So switching gears here, uh, before we get to the next letter, the last several episodes we've been talking about Australia, our listenership, about 75% of it is here in the United States. Great Britain is is number two. And then Australia and Canada are uh, number three and number four as far as our listenership goes. 
Australia is getting represented thanks to uh, a lot of great output from from uh, listeners in Australia. Canada, not so much. And this has really been I've been diving deeper into the the Canadian punk and new wave scene in the late seventies and early eighties because of our conversation that we had about. Martha and the Muffins. Um, oh yeah. And I, I said that their first album was their the first great Canadian new wave album. And you kind of chuckled at that, and I went, "Oh no, we've talked about Canadian artists in the past. I don't think that we have. I think this is the first time that we've actually huh. talked about." Um, uh, an album from a Canadian band. So I got a little panicky. I was, I was very worried that, that we had missed some important Canadian artists. And so I've been the last week or so I've been kind of diving into it. That's been my, my main homework assignment. And I think, you know, up through, February of 1980. I think that we're we're okay. So far, so good. Yeah, certainly lots of music coming out of Canada, but at that point, it was more like Loverboy and Brian Adams and stuff like that. Right. I have gone and kind of beefed up the our list of albums that we're covering in 1980 to make sure that. Canada is represented as accurately as possible. So I'm going to, I'm just going to talk about albums that we're going to be discussing for 1980 from Canadian new wave and punk bands. And I'm putting a call out to our Canadian listeners. I know that you're out there. Have we missed anything important? So, here we go. For new wave bands in 1980, we are going to um, feature albums by Blue Peter, The Pointed Sticks, Quick Flight, and Rough Trade. For Canadian punk bands, we're going to be uh, discussing output by the Demix or Demix. Not sure how you pronounce it. The Diodes, The Secrets, and Forgotten Rebels. And Forgotten Rebels, I went and peeked ahead and thought we should uh, feature a song here to whet everybody's appetite for a little Canadian punk. Are any of you familiar with any of these bands? Not a single one. No. <laughs> We are going to have some fun discovering some of some of this stuff. Let's start out with Forgotten Rebels. You know, several episodes ago, we featured a a song by Devo called uh, "I Need a Chick," which I think was our very first bestiality song. Oh, right. <laughs> You say that like there's a bunch more coming. That's just our first one. <laughs> well, <laughs> continuing our downward spiral to the very bottom, uh, let's let's feature um, a, a, song, a song about necrophilia by 
the Forgotten Rebels. This is a song called Fuck Me Dead. One, two, three, four. I like the name tag between your toes. I like the snot running out of your nose. I like the stains on your pantyhose. Does your cold sip funny when I hold you close? I like bring your mortis when it just sets in. I know where you're going. I don't care where you've been. A pillow and a coffin just as nice as a bed. And baby, I love it when you fuck me dead. Says baby, I love it when you fuck me dead. Every new girl's another three day Pretty fun, you know, fun, just depending on your sensibilities, I suppose, but uh, makes me kind of look forward to to getting a chance to, to delve into a, a full album by Forgotten Rebels. Oh, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this song a lot. It, it I don't know. You kind of have to take it tongue in cheek, maybe. But they they sound like a perfectly competent band. So oh, they sound like a lot of fun. Bring on the, bring yeah. on more of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so putting the the bat signal out there. Is there any 1980 full length albums by Canadian new wave or punk bands that 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 we should include? Oh yeah. This whole conversation was triggered by Martha and the Muffins. Uh, this isn't an album. Uh, that I really enjoy and so uh, I think we should feature another song another tip of the hat to Canada um, this is a song called uh, Monotone All right, let's move on to our next email. This is from Jeff F. He he covers a lot of ground in this email. I'm just gonna I'm gonna gonna focus on two points. He was talking about um, the Buggles debut release, Plastic Age, which we featured um, from the January episode. And he was wondering if it was appropriate to refer to this album as prog rock with a new wave hat, uh, which I thought was an interesting <laughs> idea. He later goes on to say that upon further listenings, he's kind of leaning against that. And I, I tend to agree, but it's, it's a fun mental exercise. First of all, prog and new wave, I'm, I'm hard having a hard time thinking of a lot of examples where there is, where they kind of overlap, you know, it seems like a lot of like punk and new wave was to me feels like a direct reaction and rejection of that type of music. Mm. The album that pops up um, immediately a while back, we listened to, I believe it was the Knits' second album. 
Do you remember that, Rob? The, that had the song Ping Pong and uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. we featured one other song where at the time I actually commented it felt like kind of new wave prog. But that's the only album right. I could think of that is kind of a good example. Uh, the Peter Gabriel's first couple of albums, I'd say, is like 80, 90% prog. 10% new wave. That's of course going to change with his 1980 release. Oh, yeah. But anything else? Can either either of you think of, of any, any good examples? Nothing comes to mind. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Talking about Plastic Age specifically, it is a concept album, which is kind of much more common in prog rock than in new wave. Uh, and then Trevor and Greg of the Buggles did immediately go on to join Yes, right. a pretty pretty famous prog pop band. The songwriting is much, much closer to pop than it is to prog. Typically, prog is identified with having a, a really strong, like, jazz classical flavor to it which uh -huh. you you really don't hear on, on this album a lot of the songs do have more parts than a typical pop song which is kind of typical of prog but the buggles do such a good job of of keeping the flow of each song so it really feels smooth and it's not jarring like the transitions in a lot of prog rock too. So those, those are kind of my thoughts. It's an interesting idea, and I'm from now on I'm going to kind of keep my eye open for another other examples of of prog slash new wave. Prog rock with a new wave hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which actually brings brings us to the kind of the main point of. Uh, or the main focus of his email, which is the idea of of the phrase new wave hat. So he, he asks, why are these bands wearing new wave hats? Is, is this the record company, uh, the marketing-driven bands transitioning to a new undefined genre? Will this phenomenon become less prevalent as we continue? Which is excellent questions. And you know, I knew I was opening up a can of worms when I <laughs> when I used that phrase. It was sort of like uh, off the top of my head. <laughs> and so I think this is an excellent opportunity to kind of address this. And I'm just going to actually read part of my response. The music that I get the most excited about are from bands that are trying to innovate and push the boundaries of the art form within this genre. Also, does it feel like the creators are looking primarily at the contemporary punk new wave movement or their rock and roll predecessors for inspiration? So my acid test for an album is if the punk new wave mo movement never happened, would this album sound fundamentally the same? 
with artists like Buggles, John Fox, and Wipers, the answer is clearly no. Were there no craft work or yellow magic orchestra, the Buggles, the Plastic Age, and John Fox's Metamatic wouldn't exist in any remotely recognizable form. Similarly, no Clash or the Sex Pistols, no Wipers, is this real? But other artists like the Romantics and Durati Column, it feels like the answer would be yes. There would certainly be some difference, but it would probably sound 80 or 90% the same. Thus, with a new wave or punk hat. Uh, the bones are primarily rock and roll. So I would also call, and Rob, feel free to push back on this, but I, I would call Generation X as rock and roll with a punk hat. Yeah, you know, I think, I think, uh, I hear that. I can understand that. I also think that a lot of punk bands at that time were sort of rock and roll with a punk rock hat. I mean, mm -hmm. considering where they were coming from. So yeah, I, I, I totally would agree with you. And and um, my my hope is that we can use this term as neutral. So that's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It's just, it's just what it is. So it doesn't necessarily make it bad or good. Now, I personally like the stuff that is a little bit more innovative. I mean, I, you remember my recent yeah. rant about punk bands sounding like Buddy Holly, you know, it's right. Just, right. It's not very inspiring to me, but anyway, so that's my little thesis on um, rock and roll with a new wave hat. So thank you, Jeff, um, for that, those thought-provoking questions. Definitely appreciate it. Before we get on, uh, move on to the next question, Tony and Rob, I, I can't remember what episode it was, but it was one of the episodes where the three of us were talking. And I incorrectly said that neither Iggy Pop nor the Ramones have ever made our end of the year top 10 list. So that is incorrect. Um, uh, so I just, I want to um, now correct the record on that. The 1977 top 10 list, as far as what our audience has determined is the top 10. Iggy Pop's Less for Life came in at number 10. So I was as close to being right as I could be while still being wrong. Because that, that one <laughs> album did make number 10 in, in 1977. Yeah. <laughs> With the Ramones, it's a little, it's a little worse. So um, their <laughs> Rocket to Russia in 1977 uh, was in the number six slot. So I was way off base on that. Um, it's funny, uh, Rob, 
a couple of ep episodes ago, you were kind of bragging on my memory for and, and recollection <laughs> of who said what and what was, yeah. you know, what was on the list. Well, that just proved you wrong, you big fat liar. Well, <laughs> well we we come on. You got to give me a. You got to give yourself a break. We've almost done a hundred episodes, man. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a lot to remember. So so my my apologies to Iggy Pop and the Ramones. Yeah, I was very hurt after you uh, made fun of my selection for top ten. <laughs> <laughs> so we heard from Dan S. Oh, I I love this. This was not too long after we, we released our January 1980 episode. I'm going to read a part of his email. He's talking about the Romantics album. So as you remember, Rob, you and I, not yeah. fans of, of the Romantics no. debut album. Yeah, I think I like like one song on the album. So we, we heard from Dan and I, he responded, quote, I listened to the album last week for the first time, and I was pleasantly surprised. I knew the big hit off of it, but never took the time to listen to them until this episode. This, this particular season was the year of my birth, so I wasn't around to enjoy this music at its peak. I like this album a lot, oh. despite it being kind of simple rock, and it was one of my three favorite albums from this month. And then later on in the in the email, he concludes, if this album shows up on my final top 10, it will not be to spite you. So this is That's fantastic. Right. <laughs> yeah. Dan did it exactly right. He, he pushed back on us because we didn't, during the conversation, there was not a romantics ad, ad advocate Um to be part of the conversation and so his his response was absolutely essential and we encourage all of our listeners to uh, hopefully as gracefully and politely uh as dan did uh set us straight or at least give us another perspective so we absolutely appreciate that now tony we haven't talked about this specifically, but my sense is that you're probably a bigger fan of the romantics than either Rob or I. I, I think that's true. I, I haven't been completely turned on by their albums, but I certainly don't. It, it's, it's not bad music, but for me, it hasn't really elevated to that point uh, as to what the, uh, the person who wrote you the email to that level, but there's some good tracks. I, I get really tired of what I like about you, but from the first album, you know, there's, there's songs that I think are worthy. Uh, girl next door to me is, is one that's uh, a little different and then more interesting than some of the other ones that are more straight rock and roll. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we, we absolutely have to feature a song um, from this album. So it sounds like, you have just determined which song that is. Oh, right. Yeah, Girl Next Door.
I've been thinking about this email a lot, and um, once again, absolutely um, appreciate it. Uh, it's it's a nece- necessary part of the conversation when we're talking about the about the romantics, and I have come up with a new categorization of these type of bands, and this is. This is neighborhood barbecue music, right? <laughs> what? This okay. Is, yeah, yeah. Okay. Say that one more time. Okay. Neighborhood barbecue music. <laughs> so if you're holding a barbecue for your neighbors, right, and they come over and you're going to play some music, and or at least if I were doing it, and these were people that maybe I didn't, even know, and I had to choose from an album that was released in January or February of 1980. I'm not sure what sort of scenario that would be, but if that was the scenario, this is the album that I would pick. I would definitely not pick Lydia Lunch, <laughs> right? I would. <laughs> Depends I what kind of party you're trying to have. What what a great way to get to know your neighbors or to chase off the ones that you don't want to know anyway, you know? Okay, well, I, I, think, I think you have a much more hostile, aggressive, in-your-face <laughs> approach to that's, your relationship yeah. with the neighbors than I do. That's, that's how I throw my parties or my barbecues. <laughs> so this Only half of them end in brawls. Yeah, yeah. So... And, and that has value. It is, it is, you know, feel good, kind of in the background, safe type music. You know that that the energy level is pretty high, and so yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Um, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. So, <laughs> um. I love that description. This is neighborhood <laughs> barbecue music. And I, I think that that needs to be a genre all to its own. Um, I'm going to write that down and I'm going to start knocking songs into it as we come across them. And I'm going to be like, oh, this one's definitely a neighborhood barbecue song. Um, <laughs> so, but, but anybody yeah. know that knows me personally knows that not in a hundred years would I ever do a barbecue for my neighbors, but. That I guess that's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Thank you, Dan, for uh, for pointing this album out again. Um, you know, we did we did kind of talk. We didn't. You know, we don't talk smack. Well, I guess we do sometimes. Um, but again, it brings up the point that every album that we cover, every band that we cover, we're covering them because somebody loved them because they're they're notable. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. And they're yeah. important to this t- type of music in this era that we're covering. So uh, thank you, Dan, for stepping forward and, and you know, put again, putting us in our place. It, yeah. And honestly, it's got me interested in turning the album on one more time and giving it another listen. So I think that that is exactly what the podcast is about. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get people to recognize or remember or discover something that you know that's pretty awesome 
So. Before we move on from the Romantics, just a, a couple of quick points. Uh, there is actually another Romantics album released in 1980. So we are we are not done with the Romantics. Um, and there is a chance that Dan could submit a top 10 list where one-fifth of it is the Romantics, which would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would. And another quick correction. When we originally talked about this album, I just off the top of my head, I was thinking that the next album that they release has Talking in Your Sleep on it. I was way off. That's not until their fourth album, which is 1983. So it's going to be a while before we get to that album. That is probably, I anticipate, is going to be a lot more new wave. So I, I could enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. Too bad it's so far away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll get there. The February episode, there was so much, so much content that we had to, that I had to cut out a bunch of stuff. And part of what I cut out was, our, you know, during a wrap up, we did, um, we typically do a best of show picks for the three of us. And uh -huh. that was cut for time. So, so just quick, real quickly, Rob, yours was Lydia Lunch's album. Uh, Tony, you picked um, the Squeeze album. And then for me, it was a top-up between Lydia Lunch and OMD. So I went with OMD since Rob went with Lydia Lunch. <laughs> That's right. That's right. When we were talking about the Lydia Lunch album, Rob, you described it as, uh, and this is not, a, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but sm as music that sounded like it, you'd hear it in a smoke-filled nightclub um singing for cd mobsters and <laughs> yeah that description is 90 percent right so i'm just gonna add to it and i think it's a perfect description so i think the perfect description of that album or at least the the stuff that's the with the fucked up big band stuff is um smoke-filled nightclub Singing for CD mobsters in a David Lynch film. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> now I feel oh, like I could it. go to somebody who's never heard that album and give them that description, and they would know exactly what they were in for. You know, good, on, good on David Lynch for bringing Julie Cruz into. Uh, Twin Peaks. However, he probably should have grabbed a hold of Lydia Lunch at some point. You know? <laughs> he kind of, in My retrospect, God. he kind of missed the boat on that one, didn't he? He really did. Holy smoke. I will never <laughs> pass up an opportunity to feature another um, Lydia Lunch song. So let's listen to another cut off of her debut album. This is Knives in the Drain. My windows are on a street. Broken the cardboard, forced fists in my brain. I blacken the walls as I suffer my youth. I've got the cancer of birth, and I ask what's the use. There's knives in my drain, and there's shit. 
I love this album. I love this album. I love this album. It, oh, oh my God. <laughs> this, so I know Tony's not a big fan of this song. Um, <laughs> but, but I, this song to me is exactly what we described it as, you know, with the David Lynch, the smoky lounge with the CD mobsters. It is exactly that. And Lydia has these great lyrics that just kind of make you go, man, why is she so fucked up? But, <laughs> but I think she's amazing. I really do. Ah, I love it. This is what Rob <laughs> considers to be barbecue music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is what I want my neighborhood barbecue. My, na- <laughs> my neighborhood barbecue, exactly. Yeah, and Tom Waits. Maybe we could add some Tom Waits in there. <laughs> I don't know. So we heard from Spencer H. He wanted to know about upcoming deep dive episodes and bands that we would focus on. I'm going to read just a a part of his email. He says, quote, I know you've talked about the talking heads, but you haven't done a deep dive episode on them. I can only assume that given it was in your top 10 post-punk bands of all time. You'll be covering them in a deep dive soon, but I'm just wondering. Of course, we're going to yeah. we're gonna do a deep dive on the talking no heads. No question about it. <laughs> this is an ex- excellent opportunity to kind of discuss um, the selection process for the for the deep dive episodes so first and foremost it is based on opportunity in the sense that each deep dive episode we feature is on a band that has a release in the corresponding month for that so we just did omd because they released an album in February of 1980, and we just did the February of 1980 episode. So that's the that's the main, as far as the timing goes, that's the main determining factor. The next factor is figuring out the timing of it. So ideally, we would talk about we would do a deep dive when when we just focused on the album that is kind of their most zeitgeistiest we did the stranglers in 1977 because that's when their first two albums came out um and that's when when they were kind of getting the most attention and then also part of it is just kind of more selfish in the sense that after season one and season two, I went back and looked and went, oh gosh, a lot of 
the bands that are in my top 10 list and Rob's top 10 list we've already done. We want to spread them out so it's not like all of the awesome bands at the beginning and then once we get to like 1984 and 85, we're doing deep dives on, I don't know, Kaja Gugu. We would never do a deep dive on Kaja Gugu. (laughs) But, you know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Sorry. For all you Kaja Gugu fans yeah. out there. Yeah. <laughs> I purposefully went, okay, Talking Heads, they're my, my favorite new wave band. I just like gonna save that till last. So so in here in the United States, speaking in tongues, burning down the house, that's when they really broke in the mainstream. So we're we're holding off until we get to that album. The Cure, we're not going to get to them for a little while because it it isn't until the mid '80s that they they really sort of become heavy hitters as as far as the. And we got to have something to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Occasionally, there's just a month where I can't make it work. And so like. Adam and the Ants, right? We did when Dark Wears White Socks was released, where when it really should have been um, Kings of the Wild Frontier. But that month, there was just no other releases that made any sense to to focus on. So anyways, that's the way it goes. We are definitely going to get to uh, the Talking Heads, for sure. Spencer also singled out a couple of his other favorites. So Sonic Youth, definitely we're we're gonna get to Sonic Youth. They of course don't release an album for a couple of years, so it's gonna be a little while. And um Suburban Lawns. I think Suburban Lawns are one of the bands that get mentioned the most from our listeners to make sure that we we cover. Of course Suburban Lawns only have one LP that's not released until 1981. Um, We've had an opportunity to listen to a couple of their earlier singles um, because they they popped up in our favorite songs of 1979 episode. And in 1980, they did release a couple of singles. I thought this would be a, a, an excellent opportunity to listen to one of the songs that they released in 1980. There was um, a, a single released. Uh, the A side was Janitor. The B side was Protection. Janitor, I think, is actually a slightly better song, but Protection is the first song, I believe it's the first song released by the Suburban Lawns that has male vocals. So I thought we could go ahead and listen to that. List. Wow, that's what I'm talking about. 
speaking of our upcoming 100th episode and discoveries, I think, is it true that for all three of us, Suburban Lawns is sort of a, a discovery from our adventures in this in this podcast? Yeah. Were, were either of yeah, you familiar I've, with them beforehand? Yeah, hadn't heard of them. They're, they're brand new to me, too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to. Fortunately, they they only release one album, but I'm I'm really really looking forward to that. We're gonna have to wait a while to get to it, but it'll be f- be fun to get to. So, Rob, before we move on, um, you had a, a question about deep dives, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, well, a couple of things. So, you know, I get. I get people who come to me personally, not in email, but they actually physically come up to me and say, hey, Rob, you're the podcast guy. I got a question about your podcast. Does it always start with, what the fuck was Joseph thinking when he did this? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Okay. Um, I, so I have, we have a listener, Ray Pendro, who lives in San Francisco, San Francisco, California. And he said, I can't believe you guys are like episode 80 something. Um, I came in late and so I'm having to catch up and I really wish that, you know, I don't know, should I listen to from, you know, the newest mm. episodes and, and then pick up or should I just keep going? And I'm like, just keep going, Ray. You're okay, man. Uh, but the question about the deep dives was from our friend Zach. Mm. And... Yeah. Uh, you know, Zach's been on, the, he's been on the show before. Yeah. Um, he listens to it. He wants to know if we're going to do a deep dive on Big Black. Well, and it's interesting because Big Black has only two studio LPs, and the first one came out in 1986. The accurate answer is I don't know, but the. Yeah. Inevitable answer is no, right? Because yeah, <laughs> right. it's o- it's only two albums. Um, but It'd be a mini dive at, at the very least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I even though we don't do those anymore, but um, right. However, when we get to the end of 1986, if we still want to keep going, then we will start doing stuff like that for sure, right? Yeah. As far as yeah, yeah. bands that we're going to do deep dive episodes, we d- we just don't know. I mean, I think it is it is a a certainty if it's on either Rob or I's top ten list that we we will do a dive of some sort. For instance, Rob, if you hadn't had Patrick Fitzgerald on your list, we never would have done a deep mm-hmm. dive, right? Um, Probably, probably Berlin, we wouldn't have either, but but we will because <laughs> because it was included there. Never would have occurred to me to do a deep dive on Berlin. Other than that, yep. as everybody knows, we're just making this crap up as we go <laughs> along. So yeah, well, likely that we'll at least play their music when we come to 1986. The importance of Big Black would be for. Um, I think Steve Albini is how you pronounce his name um, and his impact on the Pixies and Nirvana and a number of other groups uh, over the next decade. So, I mean, I, I think the impact that the group had on him and his future 
uh, production efforts certainly would be probably the highlight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Back in January 1980 episode, <clears throat> when we were talking about human sexual response, uh, we we noted that we had earlier talked about the band when we did our bonus episode focusing on the Boston scene, which of course was hosted and curated by our buddy Michael Greco. And at the time, we didn't think that we featured a song, but we actually did feature a song. We and we featured a song off of the Figure 14 um, album, which was called Marone Moan. So setting the record straight on that. I think we have one last email here. Um, and just a real quick one. We... Um, heard from Brent A. He wanted um, to make sure that we would be including the albums from New Music and Polyrock. And the answer to that is, well, we are now. So thank you so much, <laughs> um, Brent, for that. Um, that's some, something to to look forward to. I, I went and just quickly sampled a couple of cuts from both albums to to make sure that it felt felt appropriate and the, I'm excited about both of them. I think I think they're going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> once again, um, one of our listeners reaching out and helping us to be the best little podcast we can be. I want to talk real quickly about the feelies. Are either of you familiar with the feelies? I certainly hope you're talking about a band. I am talking about a band. <laughs> okay, good, good. No, I have never heard of them. Mm. I've heard of them. I think I have them on a compilation album mm. somewhere, mm -hmm. but I cannot name a song Yeah, off the top of my head. Well, it was brought to our attention um, from one of our listeners. We always planned on uh, including the feelies, and they're on the schedule. Their debut album was an originally released in the UK February of 1980. Well, February of 1980 has come and gone and we did not cover that album. I had it down in my schedule for April, which is the month that it was released here in the United States. We typically try and do the, the earliest month that it was released regardless of the country. Who knows what happened? There was a little bit of foul up. So I want to uh, reassure everybody that we will cover the debut by the Feelies. I apologize for getting the timing wrong just by a couple of months. So I don't think anything's broken. But as a way of, uh, of apology, um, let's go ahead and listen to. So, so this is going to be an introduction uh, to to Rob and sounds like probably to Tony as well to the feelies this is their most streamed song on Spotify it's called Fa Si La
I saw the feelies described as nerdy punk, and I really like that track, and I can see why that description is appropriate for them. Mm -hmm. uh, I also just saw that they're still touring, so they're still together and doing uh, wow. concerts, so I'm excited to get to hear them. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is this is a um, a cult favorite. I think this is one of those bands that you know never really broke through, but is highly influential. And I have never listened to the full album, and I'm really looking forward to it. So that that is definitely something to look forward um, to in April. We just got to get through March. I, I, yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, <laughs> I got to say, I am really impressed with how many bands that never quite broke through are still playing music together today. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's, it's cool. It's really cool. I think we're pretty close to kind of wrapping up here. Actually, I, I've got a question for you, Rob, but but before we get to that, uh -huh. just a, a real quick thing. I, I mentioned this, I think it was in the February episode, but I had to cut it out for time. So I'm just going to, I'm going to circle back and, and do this again. A little while ago, I stumbled across a, and the NME readers poll for 1979 based in uh, the UK, and so are very UK-centric. A couple of things that really leaped out at me in the results of this reader's poll for 1979. Uh, so, Rob, you remember back when we did one of our very first deep dive episodes, uh, which was on The Stranglers. Uh-huh, yeah. And I went on my little rant about how underrated um, Hugh Cornwell is as a guitarist. So pleasantly right. surprised to see that he was ranked as number seven for best guitarist of 1979. A wow. couple of other wow. interesting things. Paul Weller of the Jam came in at number one for best guitarist. And the wow. Jam came in as the number one band for, for 1979. As I mentioned, very, very uh, UK-centric. So only two bands were not from the UK that landed the top 10 list of 1979. So that was pretty cool. That was uh, it that was is pretty cool. really great to see, um, at least at the time, Hugh Cornwell was getting some love for, for his guitar work, which is some of my very favorite. You know, it, it's funny because that has come up in conversation. I've been to a few gatherings. Mm. Uh, barbecues? Since, since we recorded that. Yep. Barbe neighborhood barbecues. <laughs> um, and, uh, but the conversation of Hugh Cornwell being a fantastic guitarist you were able to hear each other over the, the loud Lydia lunch music? Uh, you'd be surprised the music that was playing at some of these <laughs> gatherings. <laughs> Hugh Cornwell, the Stranglers was actually one of them, but mm. Hugh Cornwell came up mm -hmm. as being, you know, one of the best guitarists. Mm. And and I not even the one that brought that up, uh, just in conversation. Yeah. So That's great. It, I know that people out there are appreciating it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rob, it is it is great to have you back, my friend. I've I've missed you. I know that oh. I know that <laughs> October, well, particularly October, September, and October were crazy. Yeah. 
I want updates about a couple of things that we've discussed, a couple of side projects that you, you've had um, that made oh, holy uh, smokes. October yeah. so crazy for you. Of course, you have another podcast, which was uh, which do. is about um, the X-Men. And there was a live episode that you recorded in October, I think. It was in October that was yeah. Um, yeah. there at the bookshop. How'd that go? So uh, the podcast is called House of X Book Club. Um, we did at Gallery Bookshop in Mendocino, we did a live recording of the X-Men Grand Design, which is kind of a graphic novel. It's a This particular edition is an oversized book. Um, and it's a telling of the X-Men's history by a comic fan, but told in a story form. And it was fantastic. Like, you know, these are guys that I went to high school with. Tony knows, I don't know if he knew Shane Mai, but Tony certainly knows Roger Lundgren. Um, oh, yeah. And then, and then, and then Rowan and, and my friend Drew are, we're all part of this, this book club. Um, but we got together at the bookstore. We had a crowd come in. Um, there was a giveaway where we gave away free comic books, we gave away a copy of the book we talked about, and then gave away a $150 x-men omnibus um and people loved it people had a really good time it was just an episode like any other except we were in the bookstore and uh but being able to do it face to face with these guys and then we hung out all weekend after that too so it was pretty cool but yeah uh it was a fantastic i guess a fantastic experience you know it was, it was a lot of fun well i think we all want um a quick update about how your Halloween haunted house tour went. In the early aughts, I started writing a book about haunted places in Mendocino because I didn't find any and I love ghost stories. I'm like, I, why are there no books? I mean, every place has ghost stories, right? So I decided to go interview a bunch of people and write a book of my own. Um, Going into the Kelly House Museum as a board member, the director said, hey, you have all those ghost stories from that book you were writing. Why don't you do a walking tour? And uh, so we put it together. I designed the walking tour. And what I do is I take 20 to 25 people around the town and I point at different locations in town. Some of those locations we actually go through. And, uh, and then I tell the ghost stories about these places. And it was fantastic. This tour, this particular tour, took place at night, so it was dark in town. And I gave everybody, there were 26 of us, I gave everybody a lantern. Mm. And we all walked around town uh, after dark with lanterns. Um, we went through the old historic hotel and the old, old historic Presbyterian church, and we walked. I've gotten the town to basically... Uh, you know, uh, they're, they're down with it. They're up there. You know, they, they want to, to be a part of it. So they let us go through their buildings and tell the stories and stuff. So it's mm -hmm. been, it's been great. Um, and we're not doing any more this year, but I think it looks like I'm going to be doing probably one a month. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm -hmm. and that said, it's got me back to working on the book some more too. So, well, I mentioned it to, my dad and he uh he i'm sure the next time he sees you he'll he'll ask you about it but 
he he was not aware of he doesn't remember of ever hearing of any homicides in 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 the village of Mendocino. So he he was speculating uh-huh. that any that happened were more like over a hundred years ago. Um, yeah, is that, well, is absolutely. That right? Eighteen is, seven, eight, eight, yeah, eighteen seventy four. I think there was a double homicide. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, and, and a lot of this, a lot of the stories that I tell are really old stories. Like yeah. they take place, uh, you know, when the lumber, when the lumber industry was booming in, in Mendocino and on the coast. Yeah. Um, I do even tell a story that goes back as far as the Pomo people living on the coast. Uh-huh. So it's before the white people were there. Uh, but you know, it's all, all old stories. Nothing in the last 50 or 60 years. Not so far. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure somebody will be interesting. Somebody will step up and give me one or two. You know they will. Because yeah. <laughs> in my my mind, I mean, Mendocino has always been a pretty sleepy little town. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Come on. <laughs> Everybody's so mellow. <laughs> so anything um, the two of you want to cover before we sign off? Yeah, I think we pretty much covered it. Um you know, I don't, I don't foresee myself being gone again, uh, at least for the time being. But uh, I really am grateful for Tony and stepping up and and uh, taking over. It, uh, it was, it was really helpful, and I appreciate it greatly. Um, well, so not anyway. not to give too much away, but um, I will say this, Rob. You definitely want to be around for our next deep dive. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there for that. <laughs> Man, if, if everything goes as planned and we, we have a commitment at this point, so knock on wood that it, that it actually happens, but it's going to be so much fun. I'm very, very excited about it. So, oh, so cool. you, you right on. definitely want to want to be a part of the, our next deep dive. It's going to be a blast. Well, yeah, I already do. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. We've talked about a lot of music tonight and regardless of what our personal tastes may be, the very fact that we're discussing this 40 plus years later, places its creators in the highest echelons of hardworking musicians. Their legacy and legitimacy are beyond reproach. These people have brought joy and comfort to countless teens and recovering teens for nearly half a century. And for that, we thank them. Their art has made the world a better place. Absolutely. We've got to get through March. We'll do it. Right, Rob? We will. It'll be fun. It's going to be great. You'll see. You'll see. It's going to be fantastic. I'm expecting you to bring the pep and excitement. Oh, man. I don't know how much I'm going to be able to muster up. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I I chose the albums that I wanted. That was strategy right there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and part of it was, I don't want Joseph to get stuck talking about this crap. Um, <laughs> but, but no, I, I, I found some really good 
some really good gems in there. I'm I'm glad I'm glad we're doing it. Looking forward to it. All right, everybody. We will talk to you uh, in just a, a a week or two. So until then, happy new year. Absolutely. Yep. We'll see ya. So